1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, April twenty fifth, two thousand twenty two. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Mark Ritchie, managing partner and chief investment officer of RTM Capital Investors. Hi, Mark. How are you?
2: Good, Maggie. Thanks for having me back.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's um you know a great time. I'm really interested to get your thoughts because. We saw some pretty interesting market action today, including, we got to start with, right, the news that Elon Musk is successfully buying Twitter after all the back and forth around that $54.20 a share, $44 billion deal. He's going to be taking the company private. Um, Twitter has been blowing up with the news that he's buying Twitter. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of opinions about that. But it almost- sort of overshadowed the fact that we saw a broad rebound in equity markets after that really ugly close on Friday. We opened lower, but they came back. And they've actually been sort of rallying into the close, which is interesting. Uh, The Dow up about a half a percent. No, actually, three quarters of a percent. S&P 500, half a percent. NASDAQ, the best performer, up 1.26%. We saw the yields on the 10-year Treasury back away from 3% hovering around 2.82, and the VIX edged down. But interestingly, that's sort of sticking at an elevated level around 27. So when you you put it all together, I mean, what did you make of this trading session, especially that equity turnaround?
2: Right. Today, it was kind of interesting. And in some ways, is just sort of a microcosm, I think, really of the year and kind of the type of market we're in. This is sort of classic bear market type action, in my view, where we don't have a strong bid under the market, uh, which was really evident at the end of last week where uh the market got clobbered pretty good Thursday and Friday. And even on Friday, we didn't even have much volume and it was just that sort of that classic forty-five degree upper left to lower right in your screen where it just marched lower all day. Uh today we opened soft, which I would have expected. That's pretty normal after a bad Friday close. Uh, and yeah, we found our footing. Uh, I'll be interested to see where the volume run rate came, but we're kind of in no man's land here. So we were short-term oversold. Doesn't surprise me, though, that volatility didn't come off very much, because I think there are a lot of people who probably aren't willing to part with their protection just yet, based upon, say, the price action over the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's why I was, I and, and in fact, it was actually- even when the market was rallying back, it, the VIX was up for a long time. It finally turned negative at the end of the day. But I saw that, and I was like, oh, that doesn't look like there's very much conviction in this equity bounce. So you know, what are you looking at when you look sort of underneath the hood? Does it seem like this has the potential to be a floor, or does it seem like it's just really that bear market bounce, and, and it's, it's very fragile? How is it feeling to you?
2: Ah, uh, the latter, so, yeah, I was reviewing my notes from when we last talked in January. Keep in mind that was prior to an official war kicking off, and I was saying we're in a cyclical bear market per our work uh, the The bad news, I guess, is nothing has changed, and potentially under the surface has only gotten worse. The good news uh, would be that I think sentiment has gotten a little bit worse or a little bit more negative. The problem with some of these sentiment surveys and those types of things, is they're they're contrarian, but they're not always the best timing um, mechanisms. So things can stay overbought for a long period of time. They can stay oversold, and so there are people. A lot of sort of the newsletter writers, like AAI, I think uh, a week and a half ago, came out with the lowest number of bulls in the survey yeah. in thirty in thirty years. Well, that that is a contrarian good indicator, but everything else uh, doesn't look very good. So where would you like me to start? And we can kind of we can kind of go. Yeah, through those that, if you want?
1: that you bring up a really good point, because, um you know, I was sp- speaking to Jared Dillian on Friday and, you know, I, I like everybody's kind of, sp- you know, spidey sense, I think is what he called it. When we were laughing, but it feels like things aren't good and there there's like more damage to come or things might be kind of breaking underneath the surface somewhere. You just don't know where it is yet. There's a lot of fear of that. But, you know, on a really short term basis, and maybe this is where the time horizon for this stuff has to, we have to introduce that into the conversation. On a short term basis, he felt like the bond move was exhausted, you know, because everybody said rates are going up. Everybody says mortgage rates are going up. And it just felt like when everyone's in consensus, it it, it just feels overdone. So super short term, you know, he was looking at bonds, but then there's this sort of, you know, medium to longer term, especially that medium term just looks like a hot mess. So talk to me a little bit about timeframe and what you're looking at. And are you concentrating on equities or is this really all about bonds? Are bonds driving, every bond yields driving everything here?
2: Well, so a lot of questions there, uh, and and they're all really relevant. And and listen, a number of people have made this point. Uh, I think on real vision, and you know, sort of throughout the Twitter sphere, that type of thing. When the market is grappling with too many things at one time, it's generally um, a headwind. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, the more managers have to discount too many uh, possible issues, the more they are to, to lighten up and risk. I, I will say this, even in the short run i 'm surprised the equities have traded as well as they have, uh, and I say that based on a, a few things one the the action under the hood sort of intermediate term in terms of the stocks themselves has been as bad as i 've seen it since '08. eight specifically in tech. Uh, I know you and I talked about this we've talked about this the last couple of times where I was saying, even going all the way to back to last summer, I was saying, you know the frothiest parts of the market have topped well that was like when arc was off 30%. now it's off 65-70%. Mm. uh you're seeing some of the you know some of these former leaders have just gotten absolutely crushed. this is classic secular bear market type action in some of these stocks under the hood. now whether that means the overall index turns into a secular bear market it, it that's almost irrelevant to me because i'm saying there's enough headwinds where you should, you, should have, you should have raised cash a while ago, at least per my work, uh, because really, the only areas that have been holding up were these sort of inflationary impulse areas, oil and commodity related. Those took a hit today. And then, of course, we saw yeah. that that rotation trade reversed the other way, where which is tech has been beaten up the most. It led today. That feels more like an oversold bounce to me. Um, the other point I would make, though, is we've had now multiple uh, rally attempts. And what I mean by that is sort of based on the old William O'Neill follow-through days, I can run, that's, there's a simple rule that says when, when a, the market rallies, I'm talking about the general market, more than 1%, four days off the low on an increase in volume, that has a decent historical predictive ability, usually about 50-50. Most people might say, well, 50 that, 50, that's not that great. However, the ones that work are generally good for multiples of that risk on the upside. We've seen multiple attempts now fail. Mm. Most of those failures happen during cyclical and secular bear markets. Uh, you know, the, the percentage of stocks that are trading above their long-term moving averages has continued to stay very low. Right now, I just ran this, 20% of NASDAQ stocks are above their 200-day moving average. Well, it should be no coincidence then, where did the NASDAQ fail? Right at the 200, a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And all the major indices failed to hold their 200-day moving average, rolled over, and now the weaker ones, the Russell and the NASDAQ, both their 200 days have now started to roll over and are turning down. That's classic cyclical bear market type action. Um, so there's not the fang is another good area. We've we've lost half of the fang in terms of you look at the old uh, growth at a reasonable price. Those institutional favorites, where some people even said things like these stocks can't go down. Well, we've got Netflix last week is just a classic example. Uh. Gosh, abs- that's
1: just ugly. That it, that chart is terrible this month.
2: Well, but if you look at what happened there, this is a, cl- I, I tweeted about this in, J- in January and February when, when Facebook and, and Netflix broke. And I said, this is the largest uh, price and volume decline since the beginning of the move. What I mean by that is over the last 24 months, we haven't seen this aggressive of selling. That is a huge change in character. That is like your check engine and oil light (laughs) going off at the same time saying something is wrong. Yeah. And how many people did you hear come out, Maggie, saying, oh, these stocks are a great bargain down here?
1: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.
1: Well, and that that is a really, really important question. I want to ask one, though, from Bo. You know, I like to get as many questions in in as I can. So everyone listening, feel free to drop them, uh, and we'll try to get as many as possible. But Bo is asking, are we running out from the RV site? Are we running out of rotations yet? I mean this is this is part I think it's a great question because people were kind of chasing that momentum out of big tech into energy but you know you saw a day like Friday and this has been happening to your point where everything's getting killed you know so what do you think about that
2: Well there's an old saying that you know in bear markets they eventually get to everything <laughs> Yeah and and it's a really good question because one of the things I, I've tweeted about this a little bit but I've been we've been talking about it in our shop that you know if the rotation trade just turns into a liquidation trade we Ooh. could go a lot lower quickly and yeah. and i've made this point i'll i'll make this point until i'm dead and gone and somebody else can make it you know that when it's when markets lose lift that they're most dangerous mm-hmm. and so that's why somebody like me right now i'm not saying we're going to go 10% lower in 3 days or those type of You know, slide type moves. But every time that happens, it happens in an environment like we're sitting in, where there has been distribution dominating the tape. We're trading below technical areas of support, and there's very little leadership. So we have, you know, it's sort of like (laughs) if I give you a couple of ingredients as your bartender, uh, you know, and, and start throwing them in a shaker and they all don't sound very good putting the three together and shaking them up isn't going to make it taste any better, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's precisely the cocktail we kind of have right now. So, you just have to be a little bit more tactical in in my view and and understand the risks. Uh and I, I can get into too. I think there's there's sort of a larger um theme going on in my view of the market has been reinforcing certain risk management strategies that I think are being challenged and have been challenged over the last twelve to eighteen months. And I don't know that that is over. Uh we can get into that a little bit more if you want.
1: Yeah. Talk also, to me. What do you what do you mean? What what behaviors, I'm assuming is this buy the dip? Is that what you're talking about? Well, or there's a
2: there's a really 60, good 60
1: 40 like, buy you know, like
2: well, you just <laughs> nailed two of them. So let's start with <laughs> buy the dip. Um or the idea that the market will just kind of bail me out. Mm. Uh Anybody who has been around long enough knows that uh bull markets and strong trends reward dip buyers until they don't. The old, you know, the trend is your friend until the large dip at the end. Uh and this is precisely I think equities over the last decade have everybody has, you know, slowly adopted this idea of maybe it's the Fed that will bail me out or um, you know, this continued uh, Tina there is no alternative uh, type of thing, and you know i 'll get into a little bit why that may be changing, but let 's just look in the past year uh, how many people decided well, just buy the dip in all the all the tech leaders that I mentioned prior well they 've had their heads handed to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about long short equity guys who decided well we don 't need to use stops when we short something like gamestop or a m c well they 've been carried out. Uh, the sixty forty guys you mentioned—I uh, just wrote about this in a piece for the Epic Times called "Risk Non-Parity," saying that when you decide to manage risk by laying it off onto something else rather than trimming. So, if I, I'm holding risk in my left hand, and I decide instead of just dealing with the left hand, I'll find something I can hold on to in my right hand, and and these are supposed to go like this, and then they both go like that. Uh, you're going to have a big problem. Well, and I I heard it, I've heard it my whole career. Well, I don't need to raise cash and equities because I have these bonds over here that are carrying them. Mm. We just had the, I think the worst quarter in the history of that strategy. You know, that strategy is designed uh, to eat like a bird in terms of its returns. Well, now it's taken a dump like an elephant, and, and everybody is, is asking themselves, is this the worst? Is it past? I'm not so sure. Look at strategies like, and funds like Archegos, same kind of thing. Yeah. These blowups that we're seeing. And how many people have been conditioned then, in the larger sense, to say, well, the Fed has my back. The last couple of times the Fed's been talking, Maggie, they don't really, they're not saying that anymore. It doesn't mean they won't eventually. But
1: On you know, the contrary, they seem to be indicating the exact opposite.
2: Exactly right. And this is what, but maybe that's why the equities have traded a little better than I would have thought. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. which is why I'm always going to default to both the technicals and fundamentals. But as I see it, the Fed is saying heads, we're going to raise rates. Tails, we're going to raise rates even more. So either scenario, we're going to withdraw liquidity or withdraw it even faster. Now, that is not, generally speaking, Uh, the most bullish fundamental driver either. So those are kind of the two major things we're grappling with. And the way that's going to manifest itself is, I think, precisely what I described earlier. People realizing, well, I thought this was a good risk management strategy, but maybe it wasn't. Uh, And could bonds and equities both continue to fall? Absolutely. Whoever said they both have to go up at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and, to, and to I, the I think that's question. what
1: made people so nervous, especially on Friday. And again, not to over overemphasize the action on Friday, we have been seeing this on on days, but it but it you know it it was sort of ratcheting up into the clothes and everything was getting taken down at the same time. And you did have that sort of feeling where wait wait this isn't supposed to happen. Um, I, I want to introduce the idea of sort of where to look. In this environment, we have some great questions, but Michael Nicoletta spoke to Dan Rasmussen of Verdad Advisors and and he was talking about trying to sort of navigate this tricky period um and you know the attractiveness for him of gold. Let's have a listen to that clip.
3: Gold is a really interesting trade. I mean, I think I love gold, and sort of, you know, I used to think people that bought gold were crazy. Okay, you know that they're, you know, the the gold bugs, right? You know, why would you own gold? You know, it's it's this metal. You know, that Warren Buffett thing. It's just a big thing, a big block of metal, and uh, you know, why why would you own it? Um, until I started doing a lot of macroeconomic analysis, and and then you see why people like gold, and the people, reason people like gold is that. Um, the back half, of the economic cycle, which is stagflation going into recession, right? And and what happens again? You know, stagflation can tip into recession really fast, or tip into slowdown really fast. Um, and so, what you're looking for in the back half of the economic cycle is something that's going to do well both in stagflation and in recession, right? And so, you look at something like Treasuries, where you say, hey, you could take some pain in this in the. Inflation part of this tagflation before you get that flip over into recession. So you kind of own them knowing you'll take some short term pain because you'll take small losses and avoid big losses in your portfolio. So it's a good thing to own treasuries because, you know, you're getting ready for the next play. Um, Whereas gold can work in both, right? Gold works because people are worried about inflation. So they buy gold. And then when slowdown happens, people panic about everything and they buy gold because they're scared. And so you get, you know, this beautiful performance of gold across the back half of the cycle um, that makes, it, I think, a really interesting diversifying asset to a lot of your other exposures. Um, So I think, you know, as a sort of commodity play, um, if you're bullish on commodities, now gold doesn't have the same upside volatility as oil. um, But I think it's a much safer portfolio play because of the way it works across both of those two economic environments
1: and that full interview is available to essential plus and pro members on our website. Uh Mark what do you think about that? Are you looking at gold?
2: Well, I would argue today's price action on gold was not very good uh, because if you look we we sort of had this breakout above, you know, the 18 1850, you know, area and and I highlighted this as well uh, a few months ago when it started to move but this pullback, in in my view, is getting a little bit excessive. So I would defer to the technicals. Uh, and personally, uh, I am not a gold bug. I've made this point before. I trade gold when it sets up, and it's almost always a trade. Uh, and there's some there are some uh, fundamental things in gold I still don't fully understand. I get I've heard the gold bug argument my whole career. And and likewise, you know, the other people that say, well, gold doesn't yield anything and doesn't really do much and you know doesn't have any industrial uses. I, I think I think both arguments are probably equally valid at, at equal times. So I'm saying when you look at the larger chart, and actually I talked about this with Jim Ropel when when I interviewed him last and we sort of caught up and he was saying, Hey, this is one of the most elegant chart patterns. Well, it doesn't look as elegant right now because I think it's pulled in a little much. Uh, and I would just say that probably has to do with the strength in the dollar. Uh, you know, Macro isn't my forte, but I understand the drivers. And if the dollar continues to stay bid, you could make the, the inverse argument, of course, though. Look how well gold has held up with how strong the dollar is. Well, yeah. that, fair enough. That, but if, if gold is really going to take off and make new highs, I think you, know, you want to see it trade a little bit better, or the dollar potentially come off. So I have a small position. Uh, that I've held since that breakout. I traded out of a little bit of it. Um, but I want to see it firm up here. I wouldn't want to see it trade much lower. If it does, though, it would just tell me it's going to need to put in more time before it probably makes a higher move. And I would rather, as I've said before, even trade out of something, wait for the technicals improve, and buy back in, even if it's at higher prices, if I think the wind you know, is a little more strongly at my back.
1: Yeah. And, and there have been people pointing out, and we do have a lot of people on who've been looking at gold who, you know, continue to believe that that is a fantastic diversification play in this environment. But there are other people who say, I mean, if gold's not going to do it now, when is it going to do it? I mean, uh, the, the, theoretically, all the, you know, all of the all, circumstances are in place that this
2: should be gold's moment. And it, sure, all the it's been disappointing
1: on a technical level, hasn't it? Uh,
2: yes, I, I think so. Uh, however, you know, there there's there no shortage of gold guys out there who give you reasons maybe why yeah. <laughs> it's still going to have its moment and they could be right which yeah. is again why I just tend uh you know wait for the technicals uh to shape up and then you know go with the trend are
1: you in any other uh other metals um because we, we you know gold yes it was down but we saw a huge move in palladium down 10% um you know we know what happened to nickel a, a while back uh, are you in any of those other areas, and is, is palladium something that was on your radar at all?
2: Other precious metals aren't really on my radar. Uh, I am watching uranium, of course, I've talked about that in the past. That's very niche. Uh, I still think it's uh, something people should be watching, uh, but not not any of the other precious metals currently.
1: Yeah. I um, interviewed the uh, CEO of uh, UEC uh, the other day, we had a fascinating conversation about uranium. Um, so if anyone's interested, you go check it out. Um, and Jared has been having a dueling match with what he calls the uranium a-holes, too, his new friend. So there's been a lot of a lot of hot conversation around uranium, that's for sure. Yes, I um,
2: commented on that as well. Uh, you did? Yeah, Jared and I, just we disagreed a little bit when we were uh, together in California on that issue.
1: Yeah, um, at the Real Vision uh, Macro Experience, um, we had a lot of conversations about energy, as you can imagine. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: What about I just want to stay with John's question because we answered gold we answered metals uh what about oil uh we, we you know th- this has really moved back a lot of the discussion seems to be centered around China and you know worries about demand there being lower on the lockdowns from a fundamental point of view but what are you watching that technically what are you seeing there
2: I am and if you remember last time in January I thought oil was going higher uh and now, I think it's very interesting. So uh, let's, let's, let's talk about both, at least from how I, I'm, I'm looking at it. I got knocked out of uh, you know, one of the oil equities today. And the equities actually traded worse than the commodity, which isn't that surprising. Because uh, as I said last time we talked, and this hadn't changed, that oil and oil-related names, uh, gas, drillers, service, services, all those, are the, are the top groups in equities in terms of relative strength. Now today they took a, a pretty good hit. Well, that's normal. You know, when stocks are trending, you know, really strongly, then you get a, a large headline like this, or the underlying commodity takes a hit, for all those names to pull back. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways, I think even some of your growth managers were trying, had rotated and trying to hide in oil because their their other groups aren't working. So where do you go? You go with the strength. And that, and and when there's very little strength, that's why you can have action like you did today. So technically, I don't think oil has broken yet. And mm. this is, if you look at the chart, we definitely had what looks like a potential exhaustion or blow off top. But the jury's still out, in my view, for a couple of reasons. The first is, look look at all the consolidations we've had over the last... Say six to nine months. They've lasted eight to 12 weeks, and then you were in new highs. Right now, we're only at, say, seven ish weeks, seven, eight weeks, and we're only off about, you know, a little over 20%. That's pretty normal for a bull advance. So it's the jury's the jury is out right here in terms of, you know, where does it go? And actually, if you looked at the end of the day, Commodity kind of closed mid-range. Oil, oil found a little bit of footing here. So I think uh, it's, it's tough to say either way. And then fundamentally, I, I think there's a pretty bullish case to be made for oil still. Uh, mm-hmm. those, those who know, uh, you know my style would know I, I'm not going to trade on fundamentals alone. But what has changed in the supply-demand dynamics? Now, if you believe uh, the China headlines are real, and that now we have a severe uh, potential slowing in incremental demand due to you know economic slowdown from the shutdowns in China then then maybe we have it but prior to this i haven't seen anything that tells me that the the supply demand situation has changed in fact um, prior to today what have we had we've had just governments saying don't worry guys we're going to pay we're going to pay for these expensive uh <laughs> Oil charges, whether it's the state of California, certain European uh, nations saying we'll send out s- stimulus checks. All that does is keep buyers buying. Yeah. Uh, and you have the United States saying, "Well, we're not going to produce more. We're, you know, we're just going to uh, release the SPR." Well, coming into seasonal strong period for oil, uh, both due to you know summer driving season and the cyclically strongest part of the year. Uh, where we're already at a sort of a shortfall in terms of production, I don't see how that changes that dynamic, so the jury's out in my view. I could see it going either way. I will also just add, I think if we make new highs, I think that this break has certainly brought some of the shorts back in uh, and there is enough people on the other side of the trade now that I think a break higher is potentially uh, even you know more powerful in the short run. Uh, yeah,
1: I was going to say, isn't it, I mean, you sort of touched on this when you were talking about direct payments, but um, isn't it possible that like the long end of the bond market, it's just anticipating that um, the cure for high prices is high prices and that there will be a drop-off in demand, recessions on the way, and it's a matter of timing. And so if you have put that high in the best is behind us in terms of growth. But like, that would presumably, if it's going to go lower, that's the fundamental story that you'd be betting on.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point. That, that that was sort of my point. Prior to, say, this China news, or the idea that like what is going to change the demand side? Uh, and normally, to your point, it would be prices that make people just say, well, OK, I'm going to crimp my buying. I'm going to walk. <laughs> I, well, I'm gonna, I I'm going to I'm going to walk. I'm going to, you know, go from two cars to one or carpool any manner of those things. So when the government is standing on the other side saying no one needs to change their behavior, then we need higher prices in order to do that. Yeah. This is it's sort of economics 101. We've done nothing to treat the actual problem, you know, in my in my view. Again, I'm not an oil expert. I'm yeah. watching this uh closely. If you look though, the last scare we had like this was when Omicron sort of started uh perking its head up back in November. Oil took a pretty decent hit uh and but stayed in a base and then broke out and rallied hard. So if that uh if that were to play out again, I think we're looking at uh you know even higher prices as uh hard to imagine as that may be. If we get a weekly close below say 95 or 90, then I think uh, the bears are probably in control. Mm.
1: So uh, I want to ask this question from M- on, uh from the exchange. Um, and it's a tough one, but I-, I think it speaks to the concern people have. He's saying, can you ask uh, Mark, he or she, uh, what w- would you advise regular Joe in the street? How should he or how can he save himself in this current environment? I think it's the same way of saying, like, where can you find safety? Is it cash? Is is that the only thing that looks safe to you right now, Mark?
2: Well, listen, the good news is bear markets are the authors of bull markets. The the problem is most people get their head handed to them in the bear markets. So for guys like me, it's yes, cash is a position, but it's not a position I just sit in all the time uh where I'm I'm trying to wait for the balance of evidence to be in my favor but this is where yeah I think uh knowing how and when to use cash not just you know this idea of you just generically always have 25% or a certain percent allocated to cash well that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me so I would say, you know, to the to the average investor, and this is one of the things, you know, I I, I teach people, uh, you know, if they want to follow me on Twitter or that kind of thing, is when to to know and learn when are those classic signs to say, okay, you need to be raising a little bit of cash or mm-hmm. or a lot of cash, depending. And some of this is your style and your experience level. Where I've been saying for nine months, you know, that listen, we're seeing deterioration under the hood. Risk levels are rising, despite what the index is potentially showing you and i most people you know don't understand how to watch and monitor this stuff, but if you think about it in terms of even let's say let's say the market bottoms next month uh, and we really have an, another nice run, whatever's leading is going to be different this time around mm. so I can promise you everybody who's trying to pick lows. In stocks like in ETFs like Ark, or some of those components, yeah. are not going to have their eyes on what the real leaders of the next cycle will be.
1: Well, so that this, brings me to a perfect question that we can end on, which is: What indicators are you looking at to mark a market bottom, and when do you know when to start spending that cash and where? Like, what what should people be looking at?
2: Well, and this is where I like this is where flexibility is so important, and. Everybody uh, loves to praise guys like Stan Druckenmiller, myself included. I think he's one of the all-time greats. But what he often talks about is his ability to stay flexible. People love to ignore that and just say, "We think you know Druckenmiller is always right." When he's talking about his flexibility, it's the idea of saying, "I'm not always right, so I have to be flexible enough to sort of bend with the market." And this is where you want to you want to test. To my my point earlier, we've had multiple failed rally attempts. So if you get a rally attempt, you put a little bit of capital to work, a little, and then you build on success or failure. You know, I mm-hmm. often ask people, if you're 25% invested and it's going poorly, should you double up? <laughs> I, I, I would say no. If I'm 25% invested and it's working well, then you, then you add incrementally as things are, are, are going in your favor. So I like to see accumulation come in. Then I want to see where is their strength and dip a few toes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If it's working, then I, then I go in waist deep. Uh, and that's how you can you can uh, level your exposure up into a situation that is potentially really powerful. This is anybody wants to go back and and look at my videos from uh, you know shortly after the COVID lows. I was very skeptical. Then I dipped a toe, and then within a month I was saying to Ed Harrison at the time, "I'm very bullish." Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't just get there overnight. It's a process, which is why you should be regularly looking to see where is their strength. Right now, I'm not seeing a whole lot to be excited about, but in in a month or a week, I may change my view it It's constantly an evolving process, just like even some of your best macro fundamental guys. well, when they see different headlines or things uh, or different n- newsprints and fundamental headlines, they start to change and alter their view as well
1: absolutely and and or continue to test the one you have to make sure it's still relevant. I think the one last thing we have to to end on I'm going to sneak one more in mark is um do volumes matter so you know you're you're going to be looking at the chart you're going to be looking at price action you're going to be layering in you know beginning slow and adding if you feel like it's going in the right direction what about volume though like do you need to see confirmation of high volume and do seasonal factors come to play here like if we're going to experiment is going into summer the time to do it i mean could that make things riskier
2: great question The answer is yes. Volume is extremely important. So, to my point about these these sort of accumulation or rally attempts, those are predicated on the market having closing higher and above average volume several days after the low, Mm -hmm. meaning you're getting subsequent buying after a market has bounced. And every meaningful rally in the history of the stock market uh, has had valid accumulation days coming four days or after the subsequent low. So if you want to have a meaningful rally in equities, you have to have one of those. Now, per what I was saying earlier, it doesn't mean everyone works. But when they do, they can produce powerful results. Last, uh, I think it was, Friday, it was Thursday or Friday, we had an 11 to 1 down day on NASDAQ, meaning down volume issues swamped buying by 11 times. We haven't had that bad of volume action since last November. That is precisely the opposite of what we want to see. Yeah. So so to your point about one thing that will immediately get me buying something somewhere is if we see a reverse of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So if we see a 10 to 1 accumulation day on the NYSE or NASDAQ, I will absolutely be testing the waters and buying positions, probably a few positions. Uh, and It's what some of my mentors would call a mental health buy. doesn't matter how bad you feel. You've got to you've got to step in and start playing a little bit because that's exactly what's going to get your view changing faster than anything else. So all and and to your last point about seasonality, yes, I think we're moving into potentially a time of the year when volumes are a little bit lower. Doesn't mean I wouldn't play. It also means if this sort of grinding bear market continues, we may continue to see volatility. If we go full-on risk off, we may see things move sharply lower because if if there were no bids before and we're in seasonally uh, you know, lower volume periods, there may be even less. Yeah. Uh, but that wouldn't stop me if we saw uh, constructive volume.
1: Fantastic. And, and great stuff for us all to watch out for. Mark, always fun to catch up with you. Thank you for all the great insight. And thanks to all of you for the fantastic questions, as usual. I'll be back here same time tomorrow with Stephen Van Meter. We'll see you then in the meantime. Take care and good luck out there.